0: Amen. I've been trying my best to slow down preaching a little bit. Everybody tells me over 20-some years that I preach really, really fast. But worship like that is not helping the cause any. (laughs) I am so excited. I feel like I need to run a lap right now to get some energy out. Praise God for incredible, incredible worship. So we start this morning with some relational statements. The first one kind of comes as a package. That is, humanity was created for relationship with God. Our sins separated us from that relationship. But Jesus can reconcile the relationship. Here's our second one. Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. Here's a third one. Everything God desires to do in and through your life, he will accomplish out of the overflow of your relationship with him. You all have noticed in the last couple of weeks that i ring the relationship bell often it is a part of my passion in teaching the word of god it is a part of my passion when it comes to discipling believers and that is encouraging people to step into a vibrant relationship with god intimacy with christ knowing christ making him known all of those pieces that flow out of the gospel message it is a focus that god has helped me to see That if people get it, it brings them in line with the central teachings of Christ. And it's also one of those that helps lead to a life of human flourishing. So I also noticed over the years as I share these types of relational statements that a lot of times people can agree with the concept without fully understanding what it means. So I try to dig in a little bit deeper. I go second level, third level, fourth level questions to find out, are they tracking with me? Are are we all on the same page about what this relationship with God is all about? So I ask questions like, what does a relationship with God look like? How do you live out of the overflow of your relationship with him? What holds the relationship together? What's the nature of the relationship with God that you currently enjoy? To experience the fullness of relationship with Christ, we need to understand the essence the basics of what that relationship is all about so today it is week number three in our relationship series and we're studying what it means to be rightly related to god for five weeks we are immersing ourselves in one of the most relational texts that you're going to find anywhere in the new testament in fact this one text philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 11 is one that speaks so much on relationship that if you get this It will unlock so many other parts of Scripture that are surrounding that. So every week we're approaching the same text, but we're coming at it from a different angle. I want us to see a different facet of what this relationship with God is all about. So on week number one, it was about the goal of relationship. And we were asking the question, what are we trying to achieve? We found that the goal is to know Christ and that's important because the goal we set is often the target that we hit week two was about motivation of relationship why are we in the relationship at all we found that our motivation when entering a relationship may unintentionally determine the extent of that relationship so God uses circumstances many times to get our attention but our motivation must move towards the gospel week three is about the nature Of relationship. We're asking the question, what defines our relationship with God? The nature of the relationship, it sets parameters as well as it establishes the ground rules. It tells us how we should act. It helps us understand what the relationship with God should look like. For example, a boss-employee relationship is primarily defined by work. Makes sense. A husband-wife relationship is primarily defined by marriage it doesn't mean that the husband and wife cannot be friends in the relationship it doesn't mean that the boss and the employee cannot be friends in that relationship but the primary motivating piece behind it is going to be either work or marriage another one would be a parent-child relationship is primarily defined by family roles and expectations within the family Different relational contexts are defined by different relational parameters. So for example, somebody might be funny and goofy and they're cracking jokes all the time when they're hanging out with their best friend, but they might be quiet and reserved when they're around their boss. It doesn't mean that they're being fake when they're around their boss. It simply means that they are adjusting their interactions based on the nature of that particular relationship. So what defines our relationship with God? If we don't understand the nature of this relationship, we usually default to living in an awkward, indebted, reverent, and even a fearful state of being. So I want us to pull this idea out this morning in our same text over there in Philippians chapter 3. So I invite you, if you're not already there, go to Philippians chapter 3. We'll be in verses 7 through 11. I am speaking this morning on the subject of the nature of relationship. Now while you're returning over there, this has already been brought to your attention. I want to do it one more time. As you leave today, there's going to be a a little booklet that's going to be handed to you. It's called Grow at Sherwood. This is a booklet that contains information about classes during the week, and it's for, uh, you know, individuals of all ages, it's for children, it's for adults, it's for singles. Also has a lot of information on Sundays. The reason this is important is because this helps people grow in their relationship with God, listen to this, while in community with other believers. There are certain parts of your walk with God that are only going to be unlocked in community absolutely grab you one of these on the way out so let's go back into our text let's read it again and from there we will pray and jump into the new information from there so here's what the text says starting in verse number seven but whatever things were gained to me those things i have counted as loss for the sake of christ more than that i count all things to be lost and view the surpassing value of knowing christ jesus my lord "...for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, as we ask each and every week, may your spirit guide us in the truth. God, there's no way that I have the ability to preach truth in a way that changes the heart if your spirit does not open people's minds and lead to that change. God, I pray that you would allow this morning to be a moment that we continue to meet with you in the word. We've met with you in worship. We've met with you in giving. May we meet with you now in the pages of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was 14, maybe 15 years old, I had an opportunity to do some work at my pastor's house. And here's how that opportunity came to me. My youth pastor at the time said, hey, Paul, would you like an opportunity to make $7 an hour? Now, at that time, $7 an hour sounded like I just won the lottery. So I quickly said yes. Now, just know that's not the wise thing to do. In fact, I I learned a lesson in good judgment on this particular situation. But basically, I I found out here's what the job was. My pastor lived on a, a little tiny island that was right off the coast there, kind of in the intercoastal waterway right outside of Savannah. And my job... In the summer of Savannah, 95-degree temperature, 95% humidity, was to spend about 9 to 10 hours a day building a bulkhead along the side of this island to hold back erosion. So basically what I did... For a number of weeks on end is I would show up early and I would load 60-pound sandbags. I would put them on my shoulder. I would walk them out to this edge of a bulkhead. I would stack them seven to eight feet high. I would come trudging back through that thick mud that is right outside intercoastal waterway, coast of Georgia. And I would get eaten alive by every biting insect in southeast Georgia. Seven bucks an hour. Doesn't sound nearly as good when I think about it in hindsight. But here's the thing periodically, the pastor's wife would come out and she would offer us something to drink. And that was nice. And there was one time that the pastor came home and he looked at the bulkhead. He said, Looks great. Thank you all. And he walked back in the house. Do you know what my pastor never did? He never invited me. To come in his house kick back my feet watch a ball grain eat a little bit of lunch just hang out chew the fat a little bit now i could be upset if i didn't understand the nature of that relationship in the moment in that moment it was not friend to friend pastor to parishioner in the moment it was boss to employ He wasn't paying me to sit out on his back porch and you know drink sweet tea and nibble upon some chips and salsa although that would have been awesome as well he was paying me to go out and build a bulkhead around the side to keep back erosion in that moment in that interaction work is what defined that relationship so the reason i bring that up is because it leads into our key truth number one for this morning the nature of the relationship determines our conduct within the relationship. The nature of the relationship determines our conduct within the relationship. So what is the nature of our relationship with Christ? That nature, remember, it determines our conduct, it determines how we act, it determines what you do, it determines what you do not do. So when it comes to our relationship with God, do we cower in fear in the corner just waiting on the wrath of God to strike us? When it comes to our relationship with God, are we supposed to speak in hushed tones because we want to be very careful and reverent in his presence? When it comes to our relationship with God, is it okay for us to lift our hands and to shout and to praise God for what he has done? When it comes to our relationship with God, do we high-five Jesus in the morning time? Kind of like we're excited about what he's teaching us in his word. However it is, the nature of the relationship defines your conduct within the relationship. So in verses 1 through 7, the Apostle Paul has already told us what the relationship was not based on. That is, his relationship with God was not based on religion. It was not based on family heritage. It was not based on self-righteousness. It's not based on personal discipline or individual zeal. He had abandoned all of those things for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. There it is, knowing Christ, knowing Christ, knowing Christ. That's going to be at the essence of what we get into this morning. Paul's wording here is the same wording that you find Jesus giving throughout the rest of the New Testament. The same wording, that is, Christians are defined as those who know Christ, they know God. So listen to the way Jesus said it. He said in John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Jesus defined eternal life, John seventeen three. This is eternal life they may know you. Again, knowing him, it's at the essence. Here's another one, 1 John 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. Salvation involves this personal, relational knowledge of Christ. Now, the Hebrew equivalent for this word no, it's a a Hebrew word called yada. Here's what that word means it was used of an intimate knowledge, a union, or a bond of love. It was sometimes used as a euphemism for sex between a husband and a wife. For example, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Adam knew Eve, that intimate knowledge. Yadah also described God's intimate love bond with Israel. Listen to what it says in Amos 3.2. It says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Now, he's not saying he didn't know anything about the other ones. He's, He's describing this close, intimate bond, a special love bond that he had with Israel, that he has with Israel. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, this idea of to know, which speaks of personal, longing, intimate knowledge So here it is. Love defines our relationship with God. Love defines our relationship with God. Now, notice the way the Apostle Paul begins to elaborate and pull this idea out within this exact text. If you read through there, you're not running into this word love, but notice how it is pulled out by that phrase to know. He speaks in verses eight and nine, he spoke of knowing Christ, gaining Christ. And being found in christ knowing christ gaining christ and being found in christ if you put all three relational excerpts together here's how it is he says i want to know christ intimately i want to gain christ personally and i want to be found in christ completely did you know it is the exact same progression that a bride enters at the moment of marriage Think about it like this. The bride wants to know the groom intimately. The bride wants to gain the groom personally. Hey, he's off the market. Amen, ladies? He's taken. Word, that's right. That's my man right there, okay? All right, so it, it's, it's like he, he's taken, he wants to know intimately, wants to gain personally, and here it is, and wants to be found or identified in him. Have you ever noticed that at the end of a ceremony, that's when the pastor or somebody officiating would say, I'd like to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Paul Gotthard. You know what just happened? She is now identified with me and in me. Did you see it in the text? He says, oh, I want to know him I want to gain him I want to be found in him that's relationship that's love that's happening in this text now here's the reason this is so important the apostle Paul is about to bring out some theology that if you don't understand why he just mentioned this love relationship and understand the nature of it you might wonder why did he start speaking of righteousness at this point here's the reason sinful people cannot be in relationship with a holy God prior to Christ listen sin defined that relationship sin separated us from a holy God in fact scripture even says that prior to Christ we are abiding under the wrath of God so in scripture we find things like this Isaiah 59 1 and 2 your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. First Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God that is you were created for relationship sin separated that relationship Jesus has done what is necessary to reconcile and bring us into right relationship with God the only one who could do that is Jesus so per- first Peter chapter 3 it says he suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous now notice Paul's words in verse number nine he tells us how he came to know Christ Not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. True fellowship with God, the ability to be brought near to him, the ability to know him and to be in that love relationship with him. It is made possible only by the righteousness of Christ only by the righteousness of Christ. Now somebody might say, Paul, okay, I get that. That's theology. I've moved beyond that. I understand that piece. All right, let's get into the other stuff. Let's get into the practical stuff. Listen, if you don't understand that, there's nothing practical on the other side. Here's the reason. It's that piece that helps us know how we now interact in this relationship. It's that peace that helps us understand the nature of our relationship with God. That is, your relationship with God is not based on your righteousness. It's based on the righteousness of Christ. And because of what he did for you, you are completely accepted, completely forgiven, completely secure, and completely found in him. Hey, here it is. You're no longer lost. You're found. And where are you found? In him. You're not found in the church, although it's nice to be known in the church. But ultimately, my security, my identity, who I am, it comes back to the fact I am in right relationship with God and I am found, I am positioned in my Savior. So here's why that is also great news. There is nothing that you could do to make God love you more and there is nothing that you can do to make God love you less why because it's the righteousness of Christ is the reason you're here not ours so the nature of our relationship with God has changed at one point the nature of our relationship was defined by sin defined by separation defined by depravity but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, now our relationship is defined by the righteousness of Christ. It is defined by love. It is now defined by this unity that we have together. At one point, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 and 5 says it like this. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh and were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great, here it is, love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The nature of your relationship with God is now defined by his love. The Apostle Paul got that. (laughs) He he got that. That's why, in my mind, I'm using my sanctified imagination. But in my mind, he's about doing backflips when he's writing this thing out. Because he recognizes where he's been. He he understands that all of his life he had been trying to be in right relationship with God based on his merit. Based on his performance. Based on his own righteousness. Based on his heritage. And at this point, he now understands that he is not in a relationship because of what he brought to the table. He says, I'm not here because of righteousness of my own derived from the law. But that which comes by faith in Christ. Here's a good word. Some of you, today, like 5 p.m., this word's going to sink in. It's, It's got a little prolonged life in it right here. Okay, so here's the word. The key to understanding righteousness is not trying harder to be good, but trusting completely that he's enough. Now, again, some people are like, Paul, are you encouraging people to live a sinful life? No, not a bit. Here's what I found. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you love holiness. The closer you get to him, the more he's working in your heart. You don't have to tell people, do this or don't do that. They, They come under conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they desire to walk rightly related to him. Oh, but when people get this, it'll free them up. The apostle Paul got it. That leads into our second key truth. Our relationship with God is defined by love and made possible only by the righteousness of Christ. Now you might say, well, Paul, you just said that. I did. I like to repeat myself. That is a part of being a Baptist pastor. We are taught that in seminary. Repeat yourself constantly. But the reason I'm doing this is because now that you have the theological framework for this, now where we're getting into some of the, quote-unquote, practical parts of this teaching, now is where that makes more sense. If we miss the concept that we are here only by the righteousness of Christ, we will spend the rest of our lives trying to hold a relationship together based on our good works. We view our acceptance on the basis of our performance. And we assume that God accepts us or he loves us when we're doing really well and he is upset with us and he is stiff-arming us and pushing us away if we mess up. Listen, According to what we find in Scripture, it's not true. Your righteousness was not enough to bring you into relationship, and it's not enough to keep you in that relationship. That's the freeing part. You came in on the righteousness of Christ, and you are positioned in the righteousness of Christ. So based on this idea, if we miss the nature of the relationship, we will begin to make false assumptions with limited knowledge. We know that God is perfect, and we're not. We know that he found us when we were in rebellion and sin. He forgave us when he didn't have to. And at the same time, he promises to give us eternal life. Now, based on that knowledge, we will always feel awkward, indebted, and reverent in his presence. I'm awkward because I'm flawed in the presence of perfection. I'm indebted because he paid a price I could never pay. And here it is. I'm reverent because of my deep love and respect for what he is and what he's done and how he's worked in my life. Did you know part of that is good and part of that is not good? What does an awkward, indebted, reverent person do in a relationship? They make it the goal not to mess up anymore. They make it their goal to try to repay the debt by doing something they make it the goal to keep a certain distance out of respect because they're they're afraid in his presence when you know what Jesus did for you you can curl up in the lap of your heavenly father and sit in peace and in comfort because you're not there because of what he did you're there because of what Jesus did on your behalf And remember, what's the nature of the relationship? It's love, not performance. It's love, not performance. When you know what he's done, there is now a peace. There's now a joy of being in his presence. So let me ask you did any of what I just described sound familiar to you? Do you feel awkward sometimes in his presence? Do you feel like you need to keep a certain distance because you're not sure if it's okay to draw near? Doesn't that sound familiar? Oh, by the way, throw in some perfectionist tendencies and a past in legalism, and you're a hot mess at this point. (laughs) Why do I say that? That's my story. I'm a perfectionist in so many things. I, I, I came out of a background. It was a Baptist background, but I came out of a background where it was far more focused on your performance than on what Jesus did for you. So for me, this idea of being able to draw near and to come into his presence, I gotta keep preaching the gospel to myself, sometimes not only daily, sometimes it's hour by hour because otherwise I move back to what is the comfort, what is the legalistic requirement that I might have been taught growing up. But get this, you never move beyond that unless you get back to the gospel. Unless you know how you've been set free, but when you get a chance, when you get, oh, oh, listen. When you know, when you know how he set you free, it's like he let you out of a shoebox in a parking lot. You just begin to live at that moment. And the moment somebody tries to put you back in the box, you're like, "Mm mm-mm. That's not where he found me. That's not what my Bible says. And and then you start quoting scripture and then all of a sudden your your friend's thin out and that's a whole other issue, but we'll get into that later on. (laughs) The gospel seems scandalous to those who are entrenched in religion. The gospel seems offensive to those who want to hold on to their self-righteousness. But it's only when we know the nature of the relationship Listen, that we can now experience boldness in our walk with God. Here it is. The only way we can be bold to come before the throne of grace, Hebrews chapter 4, is because we know that we're there not because of our ability but what Christ did for us. The only way we can proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about Jesus with all boldness, Acts 28, is because the gospel of grace has set us free. People who think their relationship is based on their performance will never have boldness in their walk with God. They will live a timid and anemic spiritual walk because they don't yet know what he's done for them. When we understand the nature of our relationship with God, the love passages now make a lot more sense. Here's one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Did you see the motivating factor? She loved the world. How about this one, Romans 5, 8? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us john 15 8 greater love has no one than this then he lay down his life for his friends romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39 love this text for i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing will be able to separate us from what the love, the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord those passages come alive When you understand the nature of the relationship, our relationship with God is defined by love and made possible only by the righteousness of Christ. Here's another one. We love Him because He first loved us. I'm going to tell you, when these things sink in, you're going to be cruising through your devotional time and you're going to creep up on one of those passages. And it's going to be like the Holy Spirit of God jumps all over you and it comes alive a new way in your heart and you start to share it with people like, did you know he loves us? And everybody around you like, well, of course we know. He like, oh, no, you don't. He loves, loves us. You'll start sounding foolish to some of you other Christian friends. That's all right. That's all right. Jesus has also given us another connection here. That is our freedom passages Start to make more sense when you understand the nature of the relationship. Jesus said, John 8, 36, whom the Son set free is free indeed. When you're struggling under the weight of trying to hold together the relationship because of your performance and your righteousness, you are never free. Here's what will happen. You you took the time one morning, say it, us tomorrow morning. You take the time tomorrow morning in order to read your Bible for 30 minutes, to pray for 30 minutes, confess your sin for 15 minutes, and then you walk away. And here's what the legalistic performance-based view will do. You could have spent 45 minutes in the Word. You could have prayed for an hour. You, You could have been confessing some more sin. I saw the way you drove up to that intersection last week. By the way, <laughs> ah, hey, you all don't know where my story's going. All I could say is, I have never had to be more careful about my driving in my entire life <laughs> than living in Albany. Because every time I'm at an intersection, I look at somebody's like, <laughs> waving. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. I didn't run that one, thank you. My, my, the horn on my truck is not going to know what to do. It's, it's been getting exercised on the West Coast. <laughs> Just trying to be honest. Hey, listen, I'm not in the relationship based on my performance. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Driving or otherwise. Here's another one. Jesus said in a Matthew 1130, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The only way it's easy and light is if he's the one carrying the load. It's only when we understand the nature of the relationship with God that we can correctly even describe what that relationship is all about. Try to describe your relationship with God and take out the word love. Here's what you're left with. I read the Bible. I'll pray. I'll go to church. I give some money. I try to help out and serve where I can. Did you know an unbeliever can do every single one of those things? But when you understand the nature of the relationship comes back to love, you talk about him personally. He's my Savior, my Lord. He saved me when he didn't have to. He, he changed my life. He gave me an opportunity to live out my created purpose and potential. He's brought me into this incredible relationship, and I get a chance to read his word in the morning. It's not out of some type of a habit or obligation. When I read it, I get a chance to know him. The more I get to know him, the more I love him, the more I I get a chance to love him, the more I, I experience his work and his grace in my life each and every day. Like When you understand the nature of the relationship, it changes how you talk about him now. It's personal. When believers understand that they are in the relationship only because of what Jesus did for them. It'll change every part of their walk with God. So as we conclude, here's what we've just pulled out. Two key truths so far that define this relationship with God. Key truth number one, the nature of the relationship determines our conduct within the relationship. Different relational contexts are defined by different relational parameters. Boss-employee relationship is primarily defined by work. Husband-wife relationship is primarily defined by marriage. Here's your new one. A Jesus-disciple relationship is primarily defined by love. Primarily defined by love. Key truth number two. Our relationship with God is defined by love and made possible only by the righteousness of Christ. That truth helps us understand how do you act in the relationship because the nature of the relationship you are free to love him because of the nature of the relationship you are free to spend as much time in his presence as you would like because of the nature of the relationship with him you are free to draw closer and to stay longer and to worship deeply you are free whom the son sets free is free indeed my question is do you know him do you know him Has he freed you? For some of you, it might be that you've placed faith in Jesus at a point in your life, but you've never told anybody about it yet. Let today be one of those days that you let people know. Your walk with Christ should not remain alone with you. It might be in just a few moments as our pastors are going to be coming, they're going to be down at the end of each row. It might be that today you simply come and you... Take one of the pastors by the hand and you just say, I've placed faith in Jesus, but I've never told anyone. They will help you take the next steps. Here it is. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want you to experience the fullness of this walk with God. It might be for some of you that you've never publicly identified with Christ through baptism. Did you know that baptism tells the gospel story? You're buried in the likeness of his death raised to the walk in the likeness of his resurrection one speaks of life prior to christ dead in sin the other speaks of made alive with him it might be today that for some of you you need to take that step that is the next step of obedience in your life it might be for others that you have never placed faith in jesus there's never been that moment in your life when you have recognized your sin before a holy God because you recognized it, you you became desperate searching for answers what what can I do and then you hear that Jesus has done everything in order to bring you into right relationship he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin he rose from the dead on the third day that we might have life and he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who turn from their sin by placing faith in what he has done for them. That might be the peace for you today. If there is anything in your mind right now that's saying, he's talking to you. Today is the day. If there's, any, if there's a desire that is there, I encourage you, do not turn away that small voice. Here's the gospel, here's the good news. You and I were created for relationship with God. You might have thought based on what you heard growing up that your life is an accident. There are no accidents before God. You've been created for relationship with him. Our sin separated us from that relationship. It's not the magnitude of your sin, it's not the extent of your sin. It is the nature of sin. Sin separates. There's nothing that we could do to make things right ourselves. Going to church, it's great, but it's not enough. Morality, I encourage it, it's not enough. There's nothing we could do to make things right. But Jesus did for us what we could not do. Lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross. He rose again. Oh, listen. He rose again. If you were created for a relationship and your Savior died and did not rise, you still don't get a chance to enjoy what you were created for. He rose again on the third day that we might have life. And he doesn't say, I'll give it to you if you can do all of this perfectly. I'll give it to you if you grow up in the right home. Or if you've done this. He says, if you will simply turn from your sin and place faith in what I've done, it's a free gift. He'll set you free. He'll set you free. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And as I'm praying, I'm going to ask during that time that our pastors would come. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And if there's a part in you that's saying, I need to be saved, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. I'm going to ask if you would, bow your heads, close your eyes where you're at for just a moment. If there's a desire this morning to know without a doubt that you were saved and set aside and forgiven, if there is that desire today, I wanna to lead in a simple prayer. The, the words that I'm gonna say, they don't save you. There's, there's no secret mantra in what I'm about to share. Jesus has done everything that is necessary for you to be saved. All I'm doing is helping guide you verbally so that you recognize what he has done for you. But here's the basic prayer. This is in your heart to God. Here's what it is. Heavenly Father, I know that I've sinned and I know my sin has separated me from you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again on the third day. As best I know how, I place my faith in what Jesus has done for me. Would you save me? would you give me eternal life? Heads bowed, eyes still closed. If you prayed with me at that time, here's what the Bible says. The angels of heaven are rejoicing for another person who has come into right relationship with God. Let us rejoice with you as well. We want to help you in this walk with God. So as we sing this final song of invitation i'm going to encourage you wherever you might be to respond to how god is prompting you i'm going to ask you right now go ahead and stand wherever you're at everybody stand and as we sing this final song just respond to how god is working in your heart the altar is open at this time